0: I invite you to turn in your Bibles again to Matthew chapter 28. We'll be looking at verses 16 through 20. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Let's pray together. Lord, we long to know you and the task to which you've called us to better. So teach us now and mobilize us for your glory, and for the good of the nations. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Matthew 28, verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Ten days ago, Kyra Carr, a Southern Baptist missionary, was tragically killed in an automobile accident in her home state of Georgia while she was home on break. She was 30 years old. She, along with her husband Reed and three children, were scheduled to fly back to Italy very soon to resume their work there. Kyra and her husband Reed were appointed as missionaries to Italy through the International Mission Board in 2009. Her heart for the people of Italy was forged three years earlier, it was while she was in Europe on a college study program that she contacted some of our International Mission Board missionaries in Rome to say that she had two months that she could use for ministry if there was something she could do. So that year, she spent one month in Naples and the other month in Rome serving. For the past six years, Kyra had given herself as a wife, mother of three, for the cause of the gospel in a culture and in a part of the world where there are fewer and fewer believers. She had given herself to children's ministry in a local church in Italy. She had mobilized Christians in Rome to work with women who had been victimized by sex trafficking. And she had helped new missionaries learn the new language. Her pastor in Rome, in a blog post immediately following her death, said, "Kyra was the aroma of Christ in Rome. We sensed it. We breathed it, we were blessed by it. Kyra was a glimpse of what it means to be absorbed in Christ. Think about that statement. She was a glimpse of what it means to be absorbed in Christ. Famous missionary many years ago, C.T. Studd, he served in India and China and later in Africa. He once said, let us not glide through this world and then slip quietly into heaven without having blown the trumpet loud and long for our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. I think it's safe to say that Kyra did not slip quietly into heaven ten days ago. Because she had been blowing that trumpet loud and for as long as the Lord had given her for the good of the nations and for the glory of her Redeemer. She was an example of a great commission Christian. And When I read the scriptures and when I read this passage today, that's not a That's not an optional kind of Christian. As you and I consider the call to go and make disciples, friends, it will only happen when our lives are absorbed in Christ. And the more that we are absorbed in Christ, the more we will be absorbed in His mission. And we know, based upon what we saw last week, that because of the fact that Christ has all authority, we can go confidently into that mission for as long as the Lord gives us. 30 years, 90 years, however long however long the Lord gives us, we can go confidently into this mission for the cause of the gospel. As we seek to try to understand what the Great Commission is all about, we're going to do so by answering several questions. We're going to answer the questions: what is this mission? Who is the focus of this mission? And how do we carry out the mission? I was going to try to do how part three today, but we're going to do that next week. We're going to look at the first two questions today. We're going to look at the what and the who. What's this mission calling us to, and who is this mission calling us to? And I want us to think about that, I want us to pray through that, and consider what this Great Commission calls us to do. Let's look at the first one. What is the mission? When we come to the Great Commission text, it is important that we do not allow its familiarity to, to confuse us, or to lead us to miss its purpose. When when we read this text, specifically verse 19, I told you last week that we really need to start in verse 16, so that was last week's sermon, 16 through 18, but when you get to verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. When you hear that, it's very familiar to, to many of us. If you're not careful, you can miss the point of this verse solely by relying upon your English translations. I did a pop quiz in our staff meeting this past week. I won't tell you who passed and failed. But I said, What is the imperative in verse 19? They gave me their answers. And if you were to take verse 19 and run it through a grammar check, you would see there's only one imperative in this sentence. And the main imperative of this sentence is not go. That's not an imperative. It is in our English language. But in the Greek, go is actually a participle. The only imperative in this sentence is to make disciples. That's the imperative driving this verse make disciples the word go is functioning as a participle a verbal adjective so it's better translated as you go or having gone make disciples i don't know why the the english translations haven't figured that out yet but they haven't as you go having gone make disciples the, listen i want you to hear this you're going to think i'm crazy when i say this i'm crazy anyway right The Great Commission, hold on, just hear me out the rest of the sermon. The Great Commission is not ultimately about evangelism. I'm going to say that again because you're thinking, did he just say what I thought he said? I'm going to say it again. The Great Commission is not ultimately, qualifier, about evangelism. It is ultimately about discipleship. which must always be the fruit of evangelism. The Great Commission does not call us to merely make decisions. It calls us to make disciples. Now, let me be clear. Evangelism is absolutely vital. It is absolutely necessary, but we must realize that our goal is not simply to get someone to trust in Jesus. Our goal is that once they trust in Jesus, we help them walk with Jesus. Do you hear the Great Commission? Make disciples of all nations. Verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This is not to take away from the importance of one placing their faith in Jesus Christ in order to be born again, to be saved. And I'm not saying the Great Commission has nothing to do with evangelism. It has something to do with evangelism. In fact, I think what we see here is that evangelism is clearly assumed. It's so assumed they don't even have to say it. Of course you're going to take the gospel. Of course you're going to proclaim Christ. But when they trust in him, you need to make them disciples. This disciple-making is going to happen... As we go, as we go about, we're going to be investing in people to make disciples. Making disciples should be part of our normal Christian activity. Listen, discipleship is not a program you attend on Sunday mornings or at a home group. Discipleship is happening in those moments, but that in and of itself is not strictly discipleship boxed off. It's part of what we do to make disciples, it's complementing what we all should already be doing. What does that look like? What does making what does a disciple maker's life look like? Well, it looks like parents investing in their children, praying for their children, teaching their children, parents being the primary disciple makers in their home. It's those intentional relationships that you establish at work or with people at church or with People that you know in other contexts where you're regularly inviting them into your life and, and, and walking with them and talking with them and praying with them and encouraging them, challenging them, holding them accountable. Certainly it includes the church opportunities that we have as a corporate body. But it's as you go. Friends, as a Christian, you are a disciple and you are to be a disciple-maker. You you don't get the option of choosing one or the other. It's both. Making disciples is not merely the job of the elders or the youth leaders or the children's ministry workers. You, all of you and all of you, if you're in Christ, called to make disciples. The church will come alongside and assist you. So don't, don't bring your kids to church and think, fix them. I had a lady tell me that one time when I was doing youth ministry. That lasted about a year. Then I got into other things. So she, she, she basically told me, I expect you to fix my kids. That's like, I will help. By the grace of God, God can change them. But it's the parents that have to be intentionally investing in their children. It's not just the job of the leaders. The leaders will assist you and equip you and help you. You are expected to make disciples. Two things true of every Christian. You should be a growing disciple and a giving disciple. And I don't mean that just giving to the offering. It means growing disciples yourself. You should be investing in others for their eternal good and for their spiritual growth. If either of these are missing, if, you, if you're not a growing disciple and you're not a giving disciple, if either of these or both of these are missing, you might want to take a close look at your own heart before the Lord. That's what the Great Commission is about making disciples. That's the imperative. As you go, make disciples. Assuming you're going to preach the gospel and share Christ and when they trust in Christ, then what? You think that once somebody trusts in Jesus and, and, and you get them to church, your job is finished? No. We're called to make disciples. That, that's why the Great Commission, I mean, it's weighty enough. If it was just to go and see people trust Jesus, if, it, if that's all it was, that, that's weighty enough. But, but we're called to actually invest in them and make disciples of the nations. So that leads me to point two. Who is the focus of the mission? Quite clear. Go, therefore, make disciples of, tell me, all nations. All nations. word nation is the Greek word ethne. We get our word ethnic from that word. and Some have tried to... to to qualify what this means, some have actually said all nations means only the Gentiles. It doesn't include Jews. I don't know where people come up with that, but that's what some say. We know that the same word can often refer to Gentiles, but it most certainly includes Jews, especially when you couple it with Acts 1:8, and you see the, 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 the circles of, of gospel ministry going beginning in Jerusalem and expanding outward. Others think it refers more to geographically defined areas like Poland. If you're Polish. Praise God for that, right? Uh, Ghana, or India, or Thailand, or Moldova, the geographical boundaries. So we're to make disciples of nations as we define nations today. However, the Word has a much more smaller, a, a much smaller geographical grouping in mind. When you trace the concept of nations through the Bible, you see this smaller group is in mind. Genesis 12, first book of the Bible, Genesis 12, 1 through 3. The Lord speaks to Abram. He says, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And in you, he goes on, And in you, all the families... Of the earth shall be blessed. What does he mean by family? Does that mean the Polk family? Benefield family? Is that the word family here? Is is that what he's talking about? No, don't get too tripped up here. So, we're not talking nations like big boundaries, and we're not talking like specific family members. We're talking tribes here. That's that's really the, the essence of what we're talking about. It means tribes, or even refers to sometimes a smaller group than a tribe. Some of you families have tribes, like me. Different people have defined these groups differently based upon the biblical meaning. So we know that it's not a large geographical like country. It's, it's more than that. But it's not all the way down to the minute level of, of each individual family either. So we come up with this terminology that we often refer to as people groups. People groups is a term that's been coined to try to capture the focus of making disciples of all nations. What is this nations? How do we, how do we obey the Great Commission? One, one group that, that's uh, a leader today in, in people group studies is, is a group called the Joshua Project. You can go to the website joshuaproject.org. In fact, our International Mission Board uses a lot of their research. They define a people group this way, for evangelization purposes. A people group is the largest group within which the gospel can spread as a church planting movement without encountering barriers of understanding and acceptance. A people group is the largest group within which the gospel can spread as a church planting movement without encountering barriers of understanding and acceptance. And depending on who you ask, and really it's it's not important that you get that exact number right but how many people groups in the world are there how many how many of these nations these people groups these tribes are there in the world some say there's 11,500 others say there's about 16,000 a few people say there's maybe 20,000 I think usually in in between that uh, that 12 to 16,000 range is is accurate so even if you said there are 16,000 people groups 6,814 of them are considered unreached, meaning 2% or less would profess to be evangelical Christian. That's the definition of an unreached people group. Less than 2% are believers. Now, Don't get lost here. So I'm talking about unreached people groups. I'm not talking about the people groups that are classified as reached that still have a lot of lost people in them. You tracking with me? So Unreached. This is less than 2% of this particular people group, this particular ethnic group that, that, that has a, th- their own kind of culture and language and those kinds of things in which they're able to relate and, 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 and do that. So people group, 6,800 of those groups in the world unreached. 3,000 of them totally unengaged. To give perspective on that, let me break it down internationally to our nation and then bring it home. Internationally, let's let's just use India. India has a population of one billion, two hundred eighty-two million, three hundred forty-seven thousand, however many more. It's one point two billion, almost one point three. There are two thousand one hundred ninety-four people groups in India alone. There's a lot of people in India. Of those, of those two thousand one hundred ninety-four people groups, one thousand nine hundred thirty-two are unreached people groups. One billion two hundred seventeen million four hundred sixteen thousand are considered unreached. That means there are about 64 million professing Christians, maybe, in India, out of 1.2 billion. You do the math. Listen, here's here's something that will help you. There are more lost people in India. More lost people. Not total population. More lost people in India than the total population of North and South America combined. That's just one nation with multiple people groups in that nation. What about our nation? Our population is about 320 million. It's interesting that we actually have about 10 million, approaching 11 million, unreached people groups. Unreached people groups in our nation. A lot more lost people than that, but unreached people groups in our nation. It's about 10 million, 11 million. One of the realities that that we face here in our own country is that the nations are moving here we're called to go make disciples of all nations and we're going and people are being sent and need to continue to go and be sent but but did you know that we receive actually about 20 percent of the world's international migrants making us the largest migrant receiving country in the world between 2000 and 2010 we received approximately 8 million migrants from other nations J.D. Payne, he was one of my church planting professors at Southern Seminary. He's now a pastor, one of the pastors at the Church of Brook Hills, It's where David Platt used to pastor before he was president of the International Mission Board. He, he wrote this in a recent work documenting the movement of the nations to the United States. He said the familiarity that the unreached people groups are always on the backside of the Himalayas, deep within the Amazon rainforest, or in a desert tent, leads us to miss the fact that the Sovereign Lord has moved such people to the U.S., You can go to a website. It's called peoplegroups.info. And this is a collaborative effort between the North American Mission Board and the International Mission Board where they are documenting the movement of people groups to the United States and helping you see how many of them there are, what religion there are. You can go. It's it's an interactive map. It's really neat. You can go and click on certain cities, and you can see expanded people groups. In the Bay Area of California, it's, it's, it's known as Little Kabul tens of thousands of Afghans living there. Minneapolis and Seattle and Columbus are home to approximately 100,000 that we know of, Somalis. In New York, there's 80,000 Punjabi Sikhs, many more, other kinds of people there. St. Louis, 35,000 to 60,000 Bosnians. In Nashville, Tennessee, the buckle of the Bible belt, 11,000 Kurds. In fact, we're told there are approximately 70 people groups in Nashville, 15 mosques, an Islamic school, a Hindu temple, a Sikh temple, and at least 15 Buddhist temples, and four Shinto meditation centers in Nashville, Tennessee. These are the nations, not not to mention not to mention the rest of the people who were born here, the Anglos, the African-Americans, the Hispanics that are present here. In our, we're not talking about them yet. That's a big group of people as well that, that we need to bring into this conversation. We're just talking about, I'm hoping you're, you're, you're feeling the weight, the massive call that we have here. St. Mary's County. Now these are statistics taken from about two or three, maybe four years ago. Approximately 110,000 and growing, depending on who you ask, as far as number of people that live in St. Mary's County. 76% Anglo, 14% African American, 4% Hispanic in this county. 2,500 foreign-born residents in this county. Then when you begin to break down the religions, I want you to hear this. We know that St. Mary's County is a predominantly Catholic county, but that's untrue. We know that of Christians, professing people who would claim to be within the Christian context, there are more Catholics than any other group. That is true. 22% of St. Mary's County would claim to be Catholic. 7% evangelical Protestant. 5% mainline Protestants. 63% no religious affiliation whatsoever. That's the majority. We know that there's even now an Islamic center in Lexington Park of 70 members or more. And here's the point. Whether you look around you right here in St. Mary's County or you look to our nation as a whole or individual places in our country or you begin to look beyond that to the nations of the world, the need for there to be Disciple-making movements, church multiplication movements, I think there's, there, is massive. And our mission, according to Scripture, it's not just massive, it's a multi-ethnic mission. It, it involves us going to all peoples, which means our churches need to reflect this reality in our membership. And our churches must reflect this uh, reality in our missional focus. This means in our immediate context, we must strive to reach and disciple people groups of all backgrounds, no matter their social class, their age, their ethnicity. It means we need to be, and I think that our denomination is doing a a good job of focusing on cities in this nation where there continues to be an influx of, of people, not just people from other nations, but people even from within our nation moving to the cities. The need for multiplication, for new churches to be planted in southern Maryland exists. I hope to be part of of more churches to be planted in in our immediate context. We hope to be part of planting gospel-centered, Christ-exalting churches in the cities of our nation. We hope to be part of planting gospel-centered, Christ-exalting churches among the nations of the world. The Great Commission calls us to make disciples of all people groups, of all nations, all ethnicities. Listen, there is no limits for gospel ministry. Did you hear me say that? You don't say, okay, we're just to go to that person or these people. We're called to go all nations. There's no limits. There's no limits. How this is played out in your life will certainly differ, because you know, as well as I know, that you can't go to everyone. I, I, can't go to, I can't go to the 7 billion people that live in the world today. You, you can't talk to them all, at least in person. Some of you, for this, some of you, this means you need to go to the Indias, the Nepal's, the Madagascar's, the Somalia's uh, of the world. Rome. Rome. You need to go. Some of you need to consider, going. you say, well, I can't, you know, I don't know if I could do the full-time missionary thing. Friends, maybe you can, maybe you can't, but listen, you could go be an engineer in these cities, in these countries. You could be a school teacher. You could be a construction worker. You can join a church planting team led by a full-time missionary, but you're doing your job. One of the glorious things about being in the Navy is they pay you, right, to go all over the world. You're a missionary for Jesus, and the Navy pays for it. It's a glorious thing. It's fantastic. They even give you medical insurance. Some of you need to go to these places full-time investing in gospel ministry, and you need a good reason why you shouldn't. Some of you need to consider to move to strategic places in this nation to serve in gospel ministry. The Northeast, Corridor, the Northeast Corridor and the West are massive places of lostness in our nation. The cities that are up and down the eastern seaboard and the cities especially in the West have a significant need for people like you to go and spend your life there. for The advance of the gospel. It may not be through the North American Mission Board as a full-time church planter. It may mean as a school teacher, as an engineer, as a construction worker, as whatever you want to do in life or whatever your career is. Go do it in a strategic place where the Lord may be leading you. Now, others of you will stay right here for as long as the Lord leaves you here in St. Mary's County carrying out gospel ministry that he's called us to in this local context. Friends, I want you to realize the massive weight of this text, and it's, remember, it's not just simply to reach these people. Great Commission doesn't say go and reach the nations, does it? We dumb it down to that sometimes. That's sort of how we talk. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say go reach the nations. It says go make disciples of the nations. We're going to get into this next week, but it says to teach them. To teach them all that I have commanded you. Is that what it says? To teach them all that I have commanded you. Is that what the text says? No, it doesn't. It says to teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. It's a lot of work to be done. Because there's a lot of work to be done. We are called to make disciples of all nations. That means it begins right there in your home, to your workplace, to your neighborhood, to your extended family, to connections and contacts you have all over this country. It may mean for some of you uprooting yourself and going to a strategic place in this nation, in this, in this nation where the cities are booming and, 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 and huge huge needs of gospel ministry need needs in these places. You may go there, may mean that you need to say, Lord, I'll go wherever you want me to go if that means to to the middle of Sudan, I'll go. And I've told you this before. I pray that the Lord send people out here. You know, we need a few people to stay behind, right? Some of you need to stay behind. But many of you, some of you need to go. And we will happily get behind you and send you and, and encourage and support you in any way that we can. There's the need is, is massive, but we need people to stay here and do gospel ministry as well. That, that's the point, is, is we, can't, we can't do it all. But we need to to approach this, this mission. Just think. Think if Kyra Carr would have died at the age of 30 as a woman who had not lived her life absorbed in Christ. In the world's eyes, she might, would have been Successful. She might, had she stayed here and done something different, had many achievements. She might, certainly could have raised a family here. But as one who lived her life absorbed in Christ, she was willing to go where the Lord called her to go and to do what the Lord called her to do. She didn't know she only had a short time to do that. But She invested herself, being absorbed in Christ, being the aroma of Christ, wherever the Lord led her. Friend, how are you living out your life? Is your life absorbed in Christ? Or is your life one that's too absorbed in the things of this world? You really don't need to answer that right now. You need to think about that. You need to pray through that. Is your life absorbed in Jesus? so that wherever you are and wherever the Lord leads you in the future, that you're willing to make disciples, that you are willing to, to answer His call to, to invest? wherever you are, to do whatever he's calling you? Is your life absorbed in Christ, or is your life too absorbed in the things of the world that you're missing all of these opportunities that the Lord places right before you? You see, if you're absorbed in Christ, you'll be absorbed in his mission. If you're absorbed in yourself, you'll be absorbed in your mission. Friends, are you making disciples of you? Or are you making disciples of Christ? And where that's at, the sky is the limit. For some, that means continue to go right here and do what God's called you here. For others, that means you need to consider going to more unreached places. The Northeast and the West and other parts of our nation. For others, that means going to the nations and planting yourself for the strategic advance of the gospel. There there are all kinds of options. There are many ways to obey the Great Commission. Here's the only thing that's not optional. That's to do nothing. To do nothing is not an option. We're called to make disciples. Our goal is to make disciples of all nations. How are you doing? in the mission to which Christ has called his people. Next week, we're going to look at how this is unfolded and how this plays out. But friends, I just want you to, this week, I just want you to be prayerful, mindful. Father, am I being a faithful disciple by making disciples? I know for me, even as a, even as a pastor who's, who's, who's supposed to say these things, I know for me, I I can even get caught up in in our own ministry so much that I forget that there are thousands, millions of people dying every day, including people around the corner, all, all throughout the world, millions that are dying and going to a Christless eternity. Friends, consider what we've been called to. Consider where we've been called to. And lay down your life as a blank check to say, Lord, by your grace, and only by your grace, I will make disciples wherever you have me for as long as you have me here to the praise of your glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Reminding us of what we're to be about. And Lord, while we will seek to answer that in more specific terms next week of how to carry out this mission, Lord, we just want to pause right now and just feel the weight. Feel the massive weight of how huge this mission is. And Lord, the reality is is that you are doing a tremendous work in many places. There many people coming to faith in Christ. There are many people's lives being transformed even as we speak, churches being planted, lives being impacted. God, you are doing a great thing among the nations. You're doing things in our own context. You're doing things all across the world. Lord, would you help us to be not just willing? not just willing to go where you tell us to go and to do what you call us to do. But Lord, that we would be longing to go. Lord, that our hearts would be broken. That our lives would be radically altered, even in our priorities here. So that we could live a life of gospel mission. Making disciples, bringing you glory, Father. I don't have all the answers as to the wheres in this room, where your people, where you're calling your people to go, or Lord, we know that the goal is to see all nations saved and to see them discipled. It's clear. So, Father, would you move in our hearts? Make us receptive, but all of us receptive to the what? Lord, that we would be about making disciples, but Lord, that you would move in each of our lives to the where, and Lord, that you would lead us there, that we would be faithful in our response, Lord, that we would not come up with excuses. Lord, if that's a, a walk across the street, if that's an extra lunch that needs to be planned this week with someone, if that's, if that's a, a, a willingness to go and invest in, a, in another place in this country or wherever across the world. God, make us receptive to going and as we go, investing in gospel ministry for the glory of Christ. To stand by idly, Lord, is not an option, nor is it Christian. So God, would you move in our hearts and lead us. Lead us to do what you've called us to do for your glory. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.